Hello and welcome to SLP Full Disclosure. I am your host, Jennifer Martin, and joining me today is Aaron Romanski. So before I introduce you to Aaron and we dive into our topic today, just to kind of get us set up, um, one of the things I know that I say often is there's so many opportunities as speech pathologists to work in different settings and with different populations. And that's a great piece about our field, but it's also, I think, can be a struggle sometimes because it's hard to know what you want to do and then to get the experience in the different settings of the populations. So, um, and one thing I'm really noticing is kind of more of a trend that I really love is it, I feel like when I got out of school, it was you chose what you were going to do, what setting, what population, and that's what you did for your whole career. And I'm now noticing that it seems not only with new grads, but even people that have been in the field are wanting to explore different settings and different populations and to just refresh every so often um, just to, it, I think it helps with burnout and just helps us use different skill sets in our careers. So we are going to be exploring some of that today um, with the world of skilled nursing facilities. So um, let me tell you about our guest who is an expert in this area. So Erin uh, grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. She's the only girl with three brothers. And um, she studied communication sciences and disorders as an undergrad at the University of Cincinnati, and then got her master's in speech pathology from Eastern Michigan University. Between undergrad and graduate school, she obtained her nursing assistant license and worked as, a, as an STNA during grad school and prior to getting a job as an SLP. She spent her entire career in skilled nursing facilities across four states and um, so many facilities that she no longer can keep track of how many. Um, she now lives in Minnesota and has found her inner country girl. She likes to garden, can, can chop wood, enjoys biking, uh, kayaking, camping, and reading. And um, when she has time, also uh, keeps her puppy out of trouble. So welcome, Erin. We're so happy to have you today. Thank you. Thank you. I try to keep my puppy out of trouble. Yeah, gets more creative every day, I think. <laughs> yes, I know people will say like, oh, get a puppy. It'll be fine. I'm like, they're like babies. They're, you know, you have to watch them and it's, he was they don't up sleep at 3 a.m. I mean, this you know. morning, ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I know. I realized the other day I was, I was having the conversation with my family, like, you know, I'm obsessed with my dog, but I also realized that I'm like, this animal contributes nothing. Joy. <laughs> joy. I'm like, yes. they can do Lots nothing. Of joy. But joy. So. <laughs> well, I'm so happy to have you and for us to really be able to learn more about working in a skilled nursing facility. And so I always just like to get started because I feel like I learned so much about each person I'm speaking with is tell us a little bit about your professional journey and um, what led you to where you are now. Been a journey. I after graduate <laughs> school, I went back home and I got a full time job in a skilled nursing facility. Um, I was there for about a year and a half, a year and some change. Decided to become a traveler um, and haven't stopped. I moved down to Tennessee. Um, I spent nine months there, and then since then, I've practiced in Ohio and Wisconsin. Back to Ohio, back to Wisconsin. <laughs> back to Minnesota. <laughs> um, so it's kind of, it's, and then COVID happened. So that restricted travel and that restricted um, facilities kind of wanting to take travelers, but also needing travelers. Um, so it's, it's just been a great whirlwind and I've loved every minute of it. <laughs> well, for the most part, I've loved most of the minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> I said, I was like, if you're like 80% of something, I feel like you're, you're doing pretty well. Uh, yeah. 80% is probably a good average. That's a passing average, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. So I'm curious too, because the whole travel therapy aspect as well is, you know, what, what drew you to that? And then, you know, what, it was it just natural then that it would be traveling to different skilled nursing facilities? Um, my interest in traveling is twofold. When I first graduated, I thought that would be a great way um, to see different parts of the country, to meet different people, to experience different opportunities in the way different nursing facilities work. Um, getting my C's was a process. So 
So finding a place to do my CFY was the hardest barrier, I think. Um, and once I had those, it, it was pretty a natural progression. Um, like all travel stories, or most of them, I went to Tennessee following a guy. Um, the relationship didn't work out, but I wouldn't have changed a second of it because I've had a great four years as a traveler and um, got to meet some pretty incredible people and experience things that I never would have had I not moved to Tennessee. Um, but initially I was very, I'm very much a homebound person. I, I enjoy home. I love my friends and my family home. So that was a big step for me to move away. Uh, and I haven't stopped. The big joke is where's Aaron now or what's Aaron's address now? <laughs> Where do I send your Christmas card this year? <laughs> I would say that's a, that is a good sign that you're, um, you've established yourself as a traveler because people don't even know where to find you necessarily. No. <laughs> Yeah. And I love that you point that out because I do think that is something that keeps people from taking that step of travel is it's scary. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's in, in that it's, there's a lot of unknown and whereas home and the known is very comfortable, but gosh, I mean, I'm sure you've, the person you are now versus when you started and had you stayed at home and it just, you can't even compare the two. Oh no. Completely different. Completely different. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious too, just did you do a rotation in graduate school in a skilled nursing facility or what led you to your original interest in that setting? I didn't actually. My two rotations in graduate school were an acute rehab, inpatient rehab and then at a high school. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't fall in love with skilled nursing until... Well, it was before graduate school, actually. As a as an STNA, as a nursing assistant, I worked as an aide in a skilled nursing facility or in assisted living, and I just fell in love with my residents and and working with them and learning about their history and their lives and establishing that relationship as an aide. Um, when I went in as an undergrad, I thought I'd I'd be peed. I'd work with kids and I would be set. Um, and then really my work as an SDNA is what led me to pursue working with adults and working in a skilled rehab. Yeah. So it sounds like you, you originally fell in love with the, the population, mm -hmm. which then led you to, that just was a natural setting to mm -hmm. work with that population. Yep. Yeah. And that's great. I do feel like it is, it is always I always laugh about it too, because you know, the, when we come out of school and we're like, I will only do blank. I am all, and it's like, well, that's that you've basically sealed the deal, but no, that's not what you're going to do <laughs> because I feel like it usually veers off into, oh, wow. I, I thought that's what I wanted to do. And I actually don't want to do that. So. And I think that happens more often than not. I know that a lot of the girls I went to graduate school and guys, um, they came into graduate school thinking I'm going to do this. I've always wanted to do this. And then you start your coursework and you realize maybe I love neuro or maybe I love voice or um, it really kind of changes as you learn more about the field because it's so widespread. There's so many things we can do and so many people we can work with that you don't even realize the amount of impact you can have until you start learning about all those different settings. Yes. Keep a, keep an open mind mm -hmm. at all times Absolutely. because you just yeah. never know. And so when you started, I mean, you did have the advantage of working as the nursing assistant. So you probably went into it understanding more of the logistics as versus mm -hmm. if you'd never done anything with the skilled nursing. But when you started as a speech pathologist, which is different than a nursing assistant, where did you, what areas did you, when you arrived, did you feel the most confident? I think patient care was probably where I felt most comfortable. I, I felt comfortable targeting sequencing while helping somebody use the bathroom or while helping somebody get dressed because that's what I had been working on doing for the last four years. Um, so rather than having one of my patients verbally sequence the steps or put pictures in order, I'd have them show me the steps. Like, how do you put your shoes on? Where do you find your wheelchair brakes? Um, so that 
aspect I was very comfortable with from day one. So being able to kind of just, it sounds like more of the cognitive and mm -hmm. almost just practical skills of mm -hmm. daily living skills, combining those two. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and what did you, when you, when you went in as an, as a speech pathologist, were there certain areas where you felt like, oh, wow, I really do not feel confident in this area. I need to, I need to figure this out. Swallowing. <laughs> Working on um, swallowing rehab and that dysphagia, I was very intimidated by. We have coursework. We work on it in graduate school at the undergrad level. Um, and that area, I still to this day, I, you, I think it's good to question what judgments you're making. Are you making the safest judgment, but also are you factoring in quality of life? Um, and everyone's muscles respond differently to rehab. Everyone's cognitive status impacts how they can swallow. Um, but it's one of those things where it can go south pretty quickly if you're not aware of all of those factors. So as a new graduate, I was terrified to change, to upgrade anybody's diet. I, I did not want that responsibility. <laughs> um, I did not want anything to happen because of a decision that I made. Um, but now I feel a little more comfortable doing that. Yeah. And I think, you know, you definitely just hit the nail on the head with that, that it is so intimidating. And when you're standing in front of somebody and it's like, oh gosh, you know, I'm seeing the signs that I've mm -hmm. been told are red flags. This isn't going well. And you're trying to remain calm and composed. And it is, yeah, I, it's, I think it's a very, it's an area that many are intimidated by. Um, and, and, and I love that you, you know, point out too, just that being able to make those really sound clinical decisions, but also keeping you know, that quality of life in check too, because I know I look back at my time working with adults and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, I wish I would have thought about that a little bit more versus like, I've, I've got to be, I've got to keep them safe, 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 safe. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, well, where's the balance of, of, of quality of life. Right. And I find that that factors in quite a lot. If you put somebody on the safest diet, um, but then they stop eating or stop drinking, that introduces a whole nother realm of risks, yeah. dehydration, malnutrition. Um, mm -hmm. So finding that balance and finding a compromise where that, that person sitting in front of you feels like they have dignity and autonomy, but they're also safe is um, a fine balance to walk some days. Yes, it is. So now what did you do when you arrived and thought, oh gosh, I really feel this is very intimidating. Do you remember some of the resources or things that you did to help to feel more confident in that area as you were actually able to do the hands-on work? Did you do anything to support that as well? I relied a lot on my mentors and I still do. I have um, my first job. She was my training mentor. Um, I still call her with questions. I still will text her and say, this is how I'm feeling. Is there something I'm missing? Um, should I be looking at this from another angle? But also using the CEU resources that we have. There's conferences, there's webinars, there's videos on ASHA. Um, it's, we have a lot of support as speech pathologists in our CEUs. Um, so using a lot of those resources helped me as well. Yeah. And I think those are such great reminders. That first one, I can't echo that enough that rely on, I mean, those that we work alongside and even if it's an OT or nursing, mm -hmm. I'm just being able to work as a team and, and never feeling like it's, it's always a good thing to say, I need help help me understand this. It's never a bad thing. And so I love that to use your mentor because I know that I've been doing this work for far too long. <laughs> I still have, you know, my <laughs> colleagues from graduate school and past people that I've worked with that I still call on if I mm -hmm. have questions because we can't know it all. And, and it is nice to have that network of people to rely on. And sometimes I think we're too close to the situation. Sometimes it helps mm -hmm. to have someone else 
look at it from a different point of view um, and take that responsibility component out of it, I suppose would be the way to phrase it, when it's your your patient or your resident or whomever you're working with sitting in front of you. Um, sometimes I feel a lot of pressure to make the right choice or to make the right decision. or um, And so I, that anxiety or that pressure to make that choice, when you have someone else looking at it, even if they just get the bare bones of the situation, um, allows you to kind of take a step back. Yeah, that is so true. I always say, I'm great at solving other people's problems. And maybe exactly. the same, I mean, even if it was the same when I had, but you're right, there is something to be said for, I'm too close to it. I'm not, I'm not seeing all the pieces. And then somebody else can come in and say, oh yeah, you're absolutely on the right track. Or, oh, you know, I would do this. And you're thinking, mm -hmm. why didn't I, you know, think of that? Because you're, so that is such a good reminder. It's just sometimes you're just too close to it. We need somebody mm -hmm. from an outside perspective. So great reminder. We'll be right back to our interview. We just want to take a brief moment to shout out the company that makes this show possible, Med Travelers. If you are a therapist interested in traveling, visit medtravelers.com to explore the amazing benefits that Med Travelers has to offer. Featuring short and long-term contract opportunities at leading facilities across the country with higher earning potential, W-2 employee status, and a flexible schedule, Med Travelers is your advocate for career success. Visit medtravelers.com to begin your travel adventure today. And now back to the show. So now for those who have not worked in a skilled nursing facility or maybe have and taken a break, um, what is, and I'm sure there's no two days alike, but just in general, what would a day in the life look like if for a, for an SLP that was in a skilled nursing facility? The nice thing about being in a skilled nursing facility is your day can be pretty flexible. Your day can, can be what you need it to be. Um, I'll typically get there for breakfast. So if it's 7 30, 8 o'clock, I'll see someone for breakfast or I'll do a treatment during breakfast. Um, and then I may go help somebody with those ADLs or that cognitive component of functional sequencing or functional safety. Um, and the day kind of just moves into lunch and then after lunch. So it really is ideally <laughs> a very kind of flowy day. The nice part of being in a skilled nursing facility is nine times out of 10, your patients are, are in the building. Um, they may go out for a doctor's appointment. They may go out with families. But if you're, if one patient you're expecting to see isn't there, usually someone else is available. So you just pivot and go to your next patient. Um, so that's the, a nice component is you, you do have that flexibility to work around the schedule of everyone else around you um, while maintaining your own schedule. It's not like I need to see this person by 8.30. I need to see this person by 9. I need to see this person by 9.30. You can kind of organically plan your day as, as it goes or how your residents, how your patients are feeling that day. I have some that are better in the morning, some that are better in the afternoon. So you just flex it based on their needs. Yeah. So it sounds like it's quite different if you're used to, let's say if you're a school-based SLP, or outpatient where you know, okay, every Tuesday at eight o'clock, I see this student. I, every at nine o'clock, this student, this, it sounds like there's a lot more where you have a general idea. Mm -hmm. This is who I need to see within this day or in the next couple of days, but in what order and how that looks is really up to you. Right. Yeah. So that's nice. It does allow you to have a lot more flexibility and, and, and also Really, like you said, look at, okay, this person's great in the morning, this person's not great in the evening, or also even being able to just really work on those uh, during those very practical skills times where it's like, mm -hmm. okay, we know this person's struggling with this. I'm going to come during this activity today so that we can, we can work on that. Yeah. yeah. And it does and make do you, it nice because oh, there's no, um, for most facilities that I've worked in, there's no you have to be here from 7.30 to 3.30. So there are days where if I know my patients aren't gonna be up in the morning, I'll come in at nine o'clock and stay until later. Um, 
So it's nice to, to be flexible that way as well, or vice versa. If I know my patients are up at seven, I get there earlier and then finish my day that way. Yeah. So it's you're very much kind of in control of how it looks. Mm-hmm. As long as the work gets done, that's all that matters. Right. Yeah. And so do you, you know, just for those that aren't as familiar with the skilled nursing facilities and myself included, um, do you, are these patients in most, and I know it differs if there's more long-term or short-term, but are yours residents in most that you've worked at, or are they there for a period of time after a medical event? How, how has it mostly been set up for you? I would say maybe 75% of my patients are long-term care residents. They're, they're residents who live there. They're residents either in the assisted living section, in a memory care unit, um, on the nursing home or nursing facility side, and then maybe 25% are short-term rehab. They had a procedure. They had a medical event that they're still recovering from. The anticipation is that they will be going home or they will be transitioning to a less, a lower level of care. So they'll be transitioning to assisted living or to a supportive environment. But that has changed a lot with COVID. A lot of people are not coming to skilled rehab. A lot of people are going from surgery to either outpatient or home health and skipping that inpatient um, component. Just for safety reasons, feeling like that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that shifts as things seem to be changing and some of the guidelines are changing. So it'll be interesting to see. And I'm sure there was a lot of fear around that too, of there's those stories where they were in there, they they couldn't have family, they couldn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's a little bit of mm-hmm. where it's like, no, 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 just, I want to go straight home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so with those that are long-term or that they're residents, is it you, the speech pathologist that dictates, um, you know, how many times they're going to be seen per week based on their goals? Is it more of a as needed if you know they're doing great and then all of a sudden they've had something come up with with feeding that you'll jump in or is it a combination of both it's a combination of both um typically when i do an evaluation something has spurned that need they had a fall they um seem to be having a harder time following sequences they're coughing more at meals they are choking on meds Um, So typically there's an event that spurs a referral to me. I have done maintenance therapy where we, we have done our primary care five times a week and then you kind of decrease it as they're starting to, to transition off of therapy. Um, And then I may change the frequency to three or two times a week as needed. But typically with our long-term care residents, burned from a change. It's burned from they don't seem to be communicating as well, or they had a small TIA. They are recovering from a UTI and demonstrating more confusion. Um, and then they'll, they'll be referred to me. And then you have the ability to, to determine based on your evaluation this is the frequency mm-hmm. and, oh, wow, if we are there sooner than we planned, then great. We can, mm-hmm. so it's not like an IEP where it's, okay, once we decide for the whole school year, this is the way it's going to be. It sounds like there's just a lot more flexibility as far as you being able to determine, okay, we need more, we need less. We thought mm-hmm. we were going to need that. Great. We don't need that anymore. And I can always do, or as a, as a skilled nursing facility therapist, you can always go in and adjust the plan of care. You can do a research or an updated plan of care if they make progress very quickly and your short-term goals are no longer appropriate or they've met their long-term goals but are still progressing. You can alter that plan of care, whether it be two, three, four weeks down the road. Um, I've had patients who present very differently on the day of evaluation. And then you give them a week to adjust to surroundings, 
if they're on any medications to give those medications time. And I take a look at my evaluation and I say, none of this is applicable anymore. They're a completely different person. Um, and go in and alter the goals or go in and, and say, now, now that they are more comfortable in their surroundings, they're voicing more goals that they want to work on specifically. Yeah, that's, I mean, that right there is, I think, great that you have that, that ability to make those changes because you're right. It's sometimes there's so many factors that go into why we are, why we're <laughs> presenting with certain things on that particular day. So mm -hmm. that is great that there's that flexibility where, oh, we don't need that anymore. Or in fact, we need a whole lot more. So, mm -hmm. um, and are you ever limited in being able to make those changes based on medical reimbursements or is do you ever feel like you're have to be careful about how you do that based on um like oh gosh I really want them to have more but I know that's going to be challenging or is that ever a factor it is a factor um it's it's a frustrating factor particularly with reimbursement um, and I think that's one of the harder things about being in a skilled nursing facility mm -hmm. is depending on the insurance they have there's a lot of limitations you get yeah. prior authorization for a week and if they don't demonstrate enough progress services are cut mm -hmm. um, or being an SLP a lot of insurances and a lot of patient goals have to do with physical mobility. So if they're able to walk community or household distances, if they're um, able to complete ADLs with some assistance, but their cognitive factor is significantly affected, sometimes that's not, it doesn't feel like it's always taken into account. Um, I've had patients discharge home where I didn't feel comfortable with them being at home, but that it was really out of my hands because physically they were able to go home. And that is very challenging. Yeah. Sometimes that's not a good combination when physically they can do all sorts of things, but cognitively mm -hmm. we're not doing as well. <laughs> it's like, I remember some time I was working in a, um, an undergrad, um, it was a home for eight women with dementia, Alzheimer's, and sometimes the most, um, the ones who are the, had the best physical skills were the ones that was like, where are they? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, but we have the memories like, oh no, mm -hmm. they could travel farther. So yeah, I, I hear you that there's some definitely, it, it doesn't always, um, work out when one skill's really strong and they're doing well and another one's not. And that's always a, a big safety concern for me. I've had so many fears about patients going home and leaving the stove on or walking out the front door and can't find their way home. Um, and you can't always guarantee mm -hmm. when they go home that they're going to have support and that safety check. Mm -hmm. it, it really is out yeah, of our of hands. Words. Yeah. You just have to feel like, okay, I've done the best I can with the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and on that note too, do you, is it common in, in skilled nursing facilities to co-treat? Because like you mentioned there, you know, we're looking, they're looking at physical, they're looking at cognitive, they're looking at ADLs. Are, are there opportunities to co-treat with PT, OT? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially with, um, high level balance. As soon as you introduce a cognitive task, the balance might go down or vice versa. They're so focused on their balance that they're not able to do that cognitive task. Um, so for patient safety, as well as a true assessment, it's nice to work with the other disciplines. And I find that it truly benefits the patient to have two sets of eyes and to be targeting multiple things, um, because that's what we do. We're never doing one thing in our day to day. I'm talking on the phone and making dinner and feeding the dog. And <laughs> I've got the TV on in the background. It's not always a a one-on-one -on -one setting in an office in a controlled environment. So introducing those distractions, introducing a physical component with PT, with OT, really help stimulate daily life. Yeah. And then everybody knows how to better prepare them if they 
do end up going home, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. now we know all the areas we need to think about because we don't want to see you back here. Right. <laughs> we don't want you to go. And then it's like, oh, great. You're back again. It just, you know, falls always... and all sorts of things that can happen. So I always tell my patients, you are allowed back to visit anytime, but you are not allowed to be in a bed again. <laughs> yes. You can come and say hello. But... Yes. <laughs> Yeah, ch- so you can stop by, we're going to have coffee, and then you're going to leave. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Come play bingo, and then go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So now thinking about what you know um, from working in skilled nursing facilities and also working, you've worked with a lot of other people in skilled nursing facilities, what would you say are some characteristics that would really help uh, somebody be successful to work in that setting? being flexible. Some days don't go as planned. Some days I, I get to work and you think I'm going to have seven patients on caseload. I know that I'll probably be out the door by three. It'll be great. <laughs> and you show up to work and four evals came over the, overnight. So then I'm leaving at eight instead of three um, or vice versa. You come into work, same seven patients one's at a doctor, one's out with family, and one went to the hospital. So then you're left with four patients and your day is completely different. Um, Or they have a bath scheduled, so you have to wait for the nurse's aides to finish all of their jobs before you can can snag your patient for treatment. Um, And there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of people who need time with that individual. You want them to have time with their family, the other disciplines, nursing, social work. Um, so having that flexibility to say, you can get them now. I'll be back in a half hour. Does that work? Um, is a big factor. And also being willing to work with your teammates because it is, it has to be a team effort. It has to be, um, you have to wear multiple hats some days. You have to be able to go to OT or to PT and say, how can I help you reinforce what you're working on? What, what can, what strategies or what aids can I give this patient to make them more successful with their safety, with their walker? Um, and, and be willing to work interdisciplinary as opposed to this is my lane. I'm going to stay in this lane. I can't deviate from speech. I can't deviate from cognition. You have to be able to see that patient as a whole person and factor that into your therapy. Yeah. You brought up so many great, just, I think characteristics for any setting, but particularly for that one. And so it sounds like patience, mm-hmm. <laughs> flexibility. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think you, you, you call out something that's really important for somebody that would be considering this is that there is certain ebbs and flows and certain times of year where the census is very high. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of patients that are due to surgeries and winter and illnesses. And then there's times where it's really low. And so knowing that that's, there's going to, you know, if you're somebody that needs, I need the same, I need to know what to expect every day. I need that consistency. Then this might be challenging for you versus Mm -hmm. if you're, well, say like, great, I love the variety of, hey, this month is going to be insane. And then I know that there's going to be months when things slow down a little bit. Um, And you're right, that patience and flexibility, because you're working with humans and you may show up to go get them. And there's something going on that you can't get them and do exactly what you plan to do that day. And so being able to just roll with that and not, not be stressed about that because it mm-hmm. will really, then you'll be stressed a lot. Yeah. And you, and you said exactly it. You're working with humans. You're working with adults who have raised families, who've had mm-hmm. successful careers. And now they are sometimes reliant on other people to do the most basic functions. Um, and that is an emotional component that isn't always factored in. If I, if someone comes into my room at 7 a.m. and said, let's get up for therapy, I would be mad as a hatter. I would be so upset. 
because I'm not a morning person. Um, I, I come in my room at, at nine, come in my room when I've had breakfast. Um, but if that's, if someone is saying seven o'clock is when I want to see them, you may not have the best session. <laughs> yeah. Cause they're, that's, they're adults. They have to be treated as such. They have to be given, um, that choice and they have to be given the respect of, of making that choice. Yeah. And that, that is a great reminder because even when you said that, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that would be such a helpless feeling at times where it's like, I have had this really productive, successful life. And now I'm reliant on people in a way that I Mm -hmm. haven't needed to be. And I, that must be really hard for some people. And there is probably so many things that it's like, it's just dictated. This is when you're eating, this is when you're doing this. And so allowing them to have a say in things when it's, when it's appropriate, because Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm sure. And you're right. That will be, because you hear those stories of, oh, you know, they're so cranky and they say, you know, they're get out. I don't want their, but I'm sure there is a point where it's like, yeah, that makes sense where you want some say in what your day looks like. And if it's, if you don't have that, that would be really frustrating. So that's a great reminder. Yeah. And, and so, um, another piece too, that I'm, I'm thinking that you said, I think would be so important is if you are somebody that is like, I want to work in my silo. I want to do my job as my, as an, a speech pathologist. And I don't want to have to coordinate and work with a lot of other team members, which is fine. I mean, that's one of those, you just need to know that about yourself. Mm -hmm. This would be a challenging setting because you're right. You really do need to, if for, for your sake, for the patient's sake, for ever, you have to work as a team and you, there has to be a lot of communication and not that, well, I don't don't do that. That's the OT's job. Well, I don't do that. It's like, there's, you have to be willing to have that more, like you said, that interdisciplinary, we're working together and it's not, this is my silo. You stay in yours. Nope. Mm -hmm. We all have to work together. Mm -hmm. And in the same turn, it allows for a lot of, um, education for the other disciplines. Speech pathology is, it's not a relatively new, um, discipline, but I think it's often misunderstood. Um, when people, when I introduce myself as a speech therapist, people say, oh, you must love working with kids and I can't say my R's. And I, I say, oh, I, I work with adults. And you see them like have to process that. But I think it happens with healthcare staff as well. Um, I've had to do a lot of education or a lot of um, conversations regarding, I do target cognitive skills. I don't just target swallowing because I'll have a whole referral list of people who are coughing or, or choking during meals. And then no referral list for the people who are having consistent falls or who wandered out of the building. And and I've had nurses say, I didn't realize that that's what you do. Um, so if you are willing to work as a team, a lot of things that may often go unnoticed get caught just in day-to-day conversation. Yeah. And, and you're right. The more you work with others, the more they understand what it is you do. Mm-hmm. And that it really is, it's, is about educating for our field and advocating. And I, I just, I, I worked with NICU babies forever and ever. And I was just having this conversation yesterday with somebody explaining my work with them. And they were, I could see immediately that confused look. And I thought, oh no, I don't expect them to talk. It's <laughs> like, they were always like, well, well they're like, what you, like, what are you? And I always say, we work from here to here. Like mm-hmm. all of this in between. And so they're like, oh, that makes so much more sense. But yeah, it's so I'm sure people also are thinking like, oh, so these adults also can't say they're ours, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> right. So yeah, we, it's it, the more we work together and yeah, then people do see we, what we do. And then it's, then they more know, oh, when I see this happening, this is absolutely the mm-hmm. expert that I want to bring in to, mm-hmm. to take a look at this. So so what would you say if somebody's thinking, um, you know, I'm really interested in wanting to try working in a skilled nursing facility, what steps would you say they should do to even see if this is a, the right fit for them or if, to even prepare themselves for, 
for doing that work? That's a good question. <laughs> um, a lot of nursing facilities do offer PRN opportunities. There's such a need right now. So if it's something that you're not sure you want to do full time or you're not quite ready to make a career switch, see if your local nursing facility has a PRN opportunity. And you can go in and get a feel and say, you know, this is something I'm enjoying or mm, this isn't this isn't an environment that I feel comfortable in um, would probably be a good first step in terms of if you're truly thinking about. I don't know if I want to make an entire switch. Um, I think that would be a good way to provide support for that nursing facility, but also get your feet wet a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I also, you know, I know things have changed with HIPAA. I remember when I was in undergrad, I would call the local hospital and say, find the SLP and say, can I just follow you around to patients' rooms? Sure. And we would just walk around. I mean, they didn't know mm -hmm. me from somebody. I was like, here I am. But is that, is that something now that is frowned upon if you know someone that works there or, or call and said, I'm an SLP, can I shadow you for the day? Or is that not allowed now with HIPAA? Um, that's a good question. I know that I've had people come in and shadow me. Um, I always talk to the patients beforehand and say, I do have someone that's interested or I have a graduate student who's interested. Um, would they be able to come in and observe the session? And if the patient says it's okay, then I, I bring someone in. If the patient says I'd rather not, then I, I don't. Um, I think the, the bigger concern, though facilities have relaxed a little bit, is allowing People to come in with the new COVID protocols. For a long time, we weren't allowing extra personnel into the facility, um, mm -hmm. and we still aren't. There's a lot of telehealth happening still um, to limit the number of care providers into rooms. So that would be another component that you, I would have to check, or that would have to be checked before someone could come in and shadow. But it certainly sounds like it would be worth asking if you call and say, hey, I would just, this is, this is who I am. This is what mm -hmm. I, I'd be interested in. Is this even something that we could work out? Um, yeah, the PRN, I agree. I have several friends that started in medical PRN and then just loved it. And now that's where they work. Um, I know you mentioned before the CEUs. I know there's so many, and just, again, we don't have to travel and go to a three-day workshop now it's mm -hmm. they're right there available online and we can and they're a lot of them are reasonably reasonably priced um do you ever think i know you learned a lot by working as a nursing assistant and i'm not suggesting somebody go get a different <laughs> degree to go do this but would it ever be such where there's volunteer opportunities that wouldn't be a huge time commitment where somebody could volunteer at a skilled nursing facility to just even see and learn the logistics like you did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think most nursing facilities, especially the activities department, are always looking for volunteers to come in and help do bingo or come in and help set up for a social event. Or we've brought in people to play the guitar. Our activities departments have brought in people to bring their pets by. Um, we've had people come in and do an exercise class, do a wheelchair level exercise class or a sitting um, exercise class. So uh, contacting a local facilities activities department or social services department. Um, I know they're always looking for volunteers to come in and help. Yeah, that's a great way too, just to even see like it, in, like you went and fell in love with the population mm -hmm. and that dictated where you were going to work. So that would be a great way to even see is this a population I love? And do I feel like, wow, this really is, is, is great. I would love to do this on a regular basis. And then you're known and then it mm -hmm. kind of gets your foot in the door too, that you are known to that facility. So that may be kind of a nice way also to bridge that gap. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So now, um, that was very helpful. I feel like I understand a lot more about skilled nursing facilities that I hadn't really thought about. Um, and I think, somebody is thinking through that that may be a, a different setting that this this would help at least kind of steer them in the direction so but one of the things that we're doing now is um we are ending with a lightning round of questions and so 
I, these are, these are just fun questions. Some just okay. fun, some um, speech related that are just, I think uh, is a fun way to end. So are you ready for the lightning round, Erin? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Do you accept the challenge? I do. <laughs> okay. So. It's Friday. So start... be easy on me. <laughs> I will. These are all good. You will, you will not have to think, well, maybe you'll have to think hard some, but not all. Okay. So the first one is a, would you rather question? Okay. Okay. So would you rather win $25,000 or your best friend win a hundred thousand dollars? My best friend win a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, so I'm not, I'm not I'm not supposed to dive into this. I'm reminded these are lightning questions, but of course I want to. I'm going to restrain. That's very you're a very good friend. Um, okay, next one. Least favorite area of speech and language to treat. Lightning round. Um. Probably voicing, probably voice, just because okay, that's, that's my fair. area I feel the weakest in. <laughs> we don't yes. see it too often. Yes. Okay. You have four hours of free time. What is your favorite way? What are you going to do with those four hours? Lay in the hammock and read a good book. Mm. Amazing. <laughs> um, okay. Class you loved the most in grad school. Aphasia. Okay. And last but not least, what is next for you professionally? I know you're in Minnesota now. What, working in a skilled nursing, what's next? I have actually made the switch. As we've been talking about, I have taken a one-year um, job with a school system. So I am, but I'm going to maintain, I, I know, yes. I am going to maintain a PRN um, to keep that medical aspect. Um, but as I've extolled on all of the pros of working in a nursing facility, um, there are downsides and, and feeling that burnout that you mentioned at the beginning of the session, especially after two years, two and a half years of working with COVID, it's taken an emotional toll. Um, so I am taking kind of a step back to refresh myself. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> well, I'm, and that's such an important reminder to, I think, well, I don't think, I think, I know it's an important reminder to everybody is that that is where you can love something so much, mm -hmm. but know. I need to just step back from it. And then when I'm ready, I can return. And that again, is just such a great reminder that mm -hmm. that will, and you know, you're still doing the PRN work, but you can always go back to that. But it is great that we have those, that ability to, to switch around and the probably people that are, have been working in schools saying, oh my gosh, COVID took a toll on me. I want to go do skilled nursing or outpatient or something else. So I'm so glad that you said that because it is, it's, we've got to remember to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of others. And sometimes that means mm -hmm. stepping back from the things that we love so then we can continue to love them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it is a labor of love when you work in a skilled nursing facility. These are our residents you see every day. They become a part of your family. You become a part of theirs. Um, and, and with that love comes a lot of loss, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and it, it can be draining. And so it's important yeah. to protect your own mental health so that you can better provide services. Because if you're working on an empty tank, you're not going to be able to fill anybody else's up. Yes. Such an important reminder. Everybody tuck that one away because it is like, <laughs> even for myself. And then I have just one last question that I, when you like working with this population for so long, does it, do you fear aging or do you now embrace it? Um, a little bit of both. It's hard <laughs> yeah. to see. It's hard to see, mm -hmm. um, particularly early onset Alzheimer's happening to, mm -hmm. to people so, so young. 
Um, And that is a fear, but I also try and embrace every day. And I've worked with patients who are 102 and they may not be able to tell me what they have for lunch, but hearing their history and learning about the life they live just makes me appreciate the life that I'm living and all the adventures that I get to live. And one day, hopefully when I'm 90 and my speech therapist is sitting in front of me and I'm going on and on and on about, I used to do what you do. Uh, Hopefully they can look at me with the same grace that I try to look at my patients. with. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure it does give you that where you, you know, what's coming, but also then that, that, um, ability to really enjoy what you're able to do now and and not take it for granted as much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Erin. This was so helpful and we'll have to have you on. And I, I would love to hear more as you switch from skilled nursing to schools and what that's like, because I'm sure that's got its own set of um, intimidation, but um so excited for you and thank you so much for sharing what you know it's uh, been so beneficial thank you so much for having me on hopefully someone gets a little bit of help out of this or learn something new <laughs> i i'm sure they will so thank you thank you and that wraps up this episode thank you for tuning into slp full disclosure for more information about this episode check out the show notes on our website at medtravelers.com slash SLP full disclosure. And don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss a guest. Are you interested in becoming a travel SLP? Visit medtravelers.com to learn more and explore the exciting opportunities we offer at top level facilities across the country. Also, a special thanks to Jonathan Carey for producing this episode and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. And as always, this episode was powered by Med Travelers. See you next time.